Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. Welcome back to The Art of Being You. I am so glad to be here with you guys. I'm your host, Rachel Wortman, and oh my gosh, it feels so good to be back in podcast mode. Most of you guys know we take this summer off because, you know, the truth is I'm a mom of four kids. I'm a pastor of a thriving church. I'm a a wife and my husband owns several businesses and our life is a little bit busy. And I'm not going to apologize for needing to tend to the family when stuff like that comes up, but I have really, really missed you guys. The reason why I said I'm not going to apologize is because, you know, those people on Instagram, the influencers who take a day off or like they have a really busy week and they don't provide their content and then they post something. I'm so sorry. I've been X, Y, Z. And it's a very legitimate reason to not post content. And I always want to DM them and just say, listen, you don't have to apologize for tending to your life. I mean, this is a good thing. So I'm not going to apologize for tending to the responsibilities that are on my plate. And I don't think you should either. Okay, got that out of the way. So we're in a brand new season of podcast. We are crushing the goals. Listen, I want to tell you, I have a personal goal of... 10,000 downloads before 2020 is over. I think we're almost at 7,000 downloads, which is astounding to me. And so if you are liking what you're hearing uh, or you have a favorite go-to episode of this podcast, would you do me a favor and either share this on your social media or send it to a couple friends in a text or maybe send it to your small group or something. I would love to have your help gathering more people in the thriving tribe that we are as we're learning to be ourselves before God, um, because that is the most important thing we can do. All right. So I'm going to tell you guys today a story of something that happened to me last week and something I've been unpacking with the Lord that I think is going to be pretty helpful to us as a community. So let me start with what happened. Last week, we were about a few days before school started. My kids are doing in-person school this year. And so I was trying to get them on a routine of going to bed earlier and waking up earlier. You know how that goes. We are in a new school this year. We're at junior high and it begins at 740. And that might not feel early to you, but I can't remember the last time I consistently woke up before 7 a.m. in the last like nine years. So it's been a huge shift for our family. Uh, we're getting there. It's, you know, everybody's doing well. But on this particular morning, a couple days before school started, my eight-year-old Jack comes, uh, he, oh no, excuse me, he didn't come downstairs. And I'm going, where is he, you know? And he's normally my kid who wakes up earlier early in our house is like 7.30, just so you know. But, you know, my older two, they regularly sleep in past 10 and it's 10 a.m. and Jack is not awake. And I'm thinking, that's weird. So 11 a.m., Jack is still not awake. Noon, and here he comes walking down the stairs, really sleepy looking. And I'm thinking, what is wrong? Maybe he's sick or something like that. So I said, Jack, dude, what's the deal? You slept in so late. And when I said that, he got this kind of coy grin on his face and he said, yeah, I tried to pull an overdoer. And I was like, what is an overdoer? And he said, well, I tried to stay up all night. 
and I froze. And I looked at him and I said, well, how late did you stay up? And he kind of grinned again and he said, 4 a.m. 4 a.m.? Oh my gosh. I said, Jack, that is not good for your growing body. Your body needs sleep, you know? And as we began to talk about it, he was playing games on his iPad pretty much all night long. Now, before you judge me as a mom, here's the thing. Our kids use devices at night almost exclusively to listen to worship music while they sleep. And we do have timers and things that shut the device down. Um, But I guess on this particular night, we forgot to turn that timer on. And yikes. So as he and I began to talk, he said, I was really feeling afraid. And I thought to myself, if I can just keep my eyes open and stay awake all night long, then I won't have to be afraid. Now, as a mom, this completely broke my heart. You know, nobody wants to hear that your kid is paralyzed with fear and isn't telling you about it. So we began to dive in and talk about what is it that's scaring you? Long story short, there was a um, little icon of a picture on some show on Netflix, even in the kids section, that had a, a creepy image that really bothered him and he could not get it out of his mind. And so he was being sort of, you know, for lack of a better word, tormented by this image every time he would close his eyes. So when we began to talk about this, I started talking to him about how to direct your mind. Now we're going to get into this in a second, but what happened in this moment was echoed by about 24 hours later, a conversation with another friend of mine who was in a really difficult situation. Um, And as we began to talk about it, I began to sense what God was doing. Long story short, both of these examples, both these stories I'm telling you about brought me to this conclusion. You've probably heard there's two sides to every story, right? But I'm here to tell you that's not true because I firmly believe, and I have words to articulate it now, that there are in fact at least three sides to every story. So let's dissect what these three sides are, and then we'll go back to what happened with my son, Jack. The three sides, or maybe the three narratives might be a better way to explain it, are your story. So this is typically the story of your flesh, like how you perceive the situation. The second side of the story is what the enemy is trying to do in this situation. And then I'm sure you're guessing it. The third side of the story is God's perspective or maybe heaven's narrative. So when God looks at the situation you're in, this is the story that he is telling. Now, any of us who've been alive for longer than 10 minutes have been in a situation where you've you've experienced something simultaneously with someone else and yet you're you know, version of events was different than theirs. That's where we get the phrase, there's two sides to every story. But I think even standing alone, even for ourselves, even when you're just you living your life, there's at least three sides to the story. Now we exponentially grow that when we add other people involved. But let's go back to what was happening with my son, Jack. So the story that he was thinking out of his flesh The story he was believing was that he was helpless. That's in a nutshell. That's not the words he would pick, but that's basically what was happening. So he was in full self-preservation mode. I have to keep my eyes open all night because there's no other option out there. Uh, To be completely, you know transparent. He also has been in this phase where he's been trying to identify 
how God wants to relate to him. He's been trying to establish a relationship with Jesus. And so he would say, mom, I'm asking Jesus into my heart and he's not fixing the problem. And so he must not want to do that for me. Now, again, as a mom and especially as a pastor and a lover of Jesus, and I could go on and on and on, that's a really difficult thing to hear your kid say. So I'm looking at this as this is Jack's version of the story. This is what he perceives in his flesh. And then let's look at what the enemy wants to do. Obviously, the enemy wants Jack to not have a relationship with God. So he is amplifying the, the, the hesitancy that Jack feels about God fixing this problem for him. He's amplifying Jack's insecurity about having difficulty hearing God's voice. He's amplifying all the negativity. But is that exactly what God is wanting to do? I don't think so. What I told my son and what I would say to you today, regardless of what situation you're in, when you're facing a narrative that you believe something the enemy wants to do as well, look at what God is wanting to do. So we sat down and I put two objects in front of him and I began to explain to him about a car. There's a driver's seat and there's a passenger seat in the car. And so I told him, if you're sitting in the passenger seat of a car and a scary person comes up and starts to bang on the windows and wants to get into the car, can you drive away? It's a little bit of a trick question. It's kind of like those math problems, you know, where they say there's a train going from this station at this speed, a train going from that station, and I can't even remember the rest of the problem because I tuned out for all of those word picture problems. But this is what I was explaining to him. It's really hard to drive away when you're in danger, when you're in the passenger seat and no one is behind the wheel of the car. I said, now put yourself in the driver's seat. If somebody, a scary person comes and starts wanting to get in the car, what would you do? Without missing a beat, my precious eight-year-old said, well, I would drive away. And then full disclosure said, and run the person over. Okay, maybe not a bad plan. And so we began to talk about what it's like to be in the driver's seat of your car. And I'm telling you, friends, every situation that you are in, you have an opportunity to be in the driver's seat, even though the flesh motivation, the personal narrative might be telling you you're actually in the passenger seat. What I said to him, and I feel like this was a word from the Holy Spirit, and I do believe it's a word for you as well is that what God wanted Jack to understand is that Christ is in you. Christ, the hope of glory, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's working in you. And so you have access to that power to change the narrative of what's assaulting you in your mind. Now, I know this is, it almost sounds too good to be true until you've practiced it and brought it into fruition in your life. So I told him about an eight-year-old's version of how the brain works, and we described it like a bodily organ. So your brain is an organ, and I know you guys have probably heard me say this before, but it functions on a code, on a code of conduct, like all your other organs do. For example, your heart pumps. It doesn't exactly know what substance is going through it. It just knows to pump it through. Now, because of our circulation system, we know that substance is blood. But let's say for some reason, if it wasn't blood, the heart is still going to pump because that's how it's designed. The stomach, this is a great example. The stomach is designed to digest. Whether you eat paper or whether you eat food, your stomach is going to digest it. It's non-discriminatory. Do you remember, I don't know if you ever did this, but I can remember in sixth and seventh grade, 
you know, on dares and stuff, can you eat a piece of paper? And I would totally do it because I understood that the stomach was going to digest it. So I, as I explained to my son, Jack, and as I'm saying to you right now, the stomach is not discriminating against whether you liked the taste of the food, whether it's even food. As soon as something drops into the stomach, the acids do their thing, the digestion process continues, and that's how the stomach works. Now, let's talk about the brain, which is what you really want to know. The brain processes thoughts. It does not even really know if you like the thoughts or not. This is what I said to my son. This image that you feel afraid of, your brain can tell that you like to think about it. Oh, I don't like to think about it. No, no, no. I know that. I know in your logical mind, it's actually scary to you. But because you keep holding your attention on it, the brain doesn't discriminate. It just knows that it seems to think you like it because you keep holding attention on it, good or bad. So it's going to keep bringing it up because you keep paying attention to it. So this is what we do when we're in the passenger seat of the car. We just sit on it. We don't take authority over our thoughts. We don't do what Romans 12 says to renew our mind. We don't take our thoughts captive like uh, Ephesians and Romans tells us to do. We just let it be there as if we're a passive victim to the thoughts that come our way. But when we are in the driver's seat, now we direct what thoughts come in and what thoughts go out. So when a scary picture comes in, we in the driver's seat move away from it and we recategorize it as this is bad. I don't want to think about it. How do you do that? One of the best ways you can do it is to actually confess it out loud. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says to confess your sins? There's something about when we verbally acknowledge something that's right or wrong that helps our brain come in line with what we really believe. So there's three sides to every story. There's what you perceive typically from your flesh. There's what the enemy is trying to amplify. And there's what God is doing. So in the case of this example, and I know I'm, I'm beating this over the head, you know, just going back and back over it. But I think it's a helpful example. What God is wanting to do in my son's life and what he's wanting to do in your life as well is to teach you to access the power that already lives inside of you. It's to teach you to access the, the, the things the cross has already bought for you. See, you're not actually sitting helplessly in the passenger seat begging God to come and move through you. God is waiting for you to get into the driver's seat so together you can use the things he's already put inside of you, the things that are in the word of God, the practices that are already laid out that we know are going to help. So our challenge is to decide which side of the story we're going to believe. So I mentioned to you that a friend of mine was telling me about um, a difficult situation they were in. And as we began to unpack it, I, I told him, I said, listen, the enemy wants you to rehash this situation. He was treated unfairly. It was a really sad, you know, frustrating situation. I said, listen, the enemy wants you to rehash this because in doing so, you're rewounding yourself every time. The more people that you go and talk to about this unjust situation, the more you are empowering the narrative of the enemy. I'm not saying you can't be honest about it. I'm not saying you shouldn't tell people. Yes, you should be transparent. But when we ruminate, when we marinate in our minds on negative situations, we are agreeing with the enemy's side of the story. 
What if God wants to harness that negative situation to bring you into an upgrade in your life? Now, listen, I'm about to say something to you that you might get mad at me for and you might not understand and that's okay. One of the most challenging quotes I have ever heard from someone that I truly respect and and really believe their doctrine, okay? So their theology, their standpoint. I've, I've looked into it myself and I really believe it. And this is what they said. Several years ago, I was sitting in a conference listening to this teacher and he, he said this. Gosh, it's so crazy. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Pull the car over if you're driving. Okay. He said, demons are just the hound dogs of heaven and God sicks them where he wants. What? He said, demons are just the hound dogs of heaven and God sicks them where he wants. Now, I'll be completely honest with you. My mind was blown when I heard this for the first time. I literally thought about it for like three years as I tried to understand how this could even be true. How could a God who is so good sick demons on people? How, How does this even function. And here's what I understood now. And I don't know if this pastor would still stand by the the phrasing of this quote, but what I have found to be true in years and years of researching this particular topic is this. God is truly God in, in the heavens and on the earth. There is no one that comes close to matching his power, his eminence, his brilliance. Like literally he is supreme. It is not a battle. So when we understand the bigness of God and then we look at the battle that we face, then the question becomes, or should I say the question is no longer, is God big enough to deal with this? The question is, why is this chaos still here? What is God wanting to do? And I would say to you, more often than not, what God is wanting to do through the demonic strongholds that we experience, through the challenges that we go through, through the the attacks that we endure, he is wanting to display his glory in and through our lives. And when we are dealing with something demonic or even the narrative and the storyline that the enemy wants to enhance... The, the choice that we have is the same because we get to choose to be in the driver's seat and to stand in the authority that God has given us. Now, I do want to say that we also have the power to invite the demonic into our life. So it is possible through things like Ouija boards, psychics, tarot cards, uh, seances, Wiccan rituals, stuff like that, blood sacrifice. I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there and it does have a form of power and we do open the door to the darkness when we participate in those things. So I think that's a different category than what this preacher was talking about with how God uses the demonic. But what I want you to understand is that every demon in hell, every spirit, every person on the earth, all of them have to bow their knee to Jesus at some point. And every spiritual being that's out there is under the authority at some level of God. Does that mean they don't get rascally and rebel at times? I think they do, right? But what we have to understand is that we do not need to be afraid of anything the enemy wants to do. There is a third option. There is another way of being. There's another level of thinking. And when we will tap into that, we begin to experience the abundant life God promised us. We begin to experience heaven on earth. We begin to experience uh, being able to sit with God in heavenly places, being able to experience his presence in our life. Now, doesn't that make you hungry for more of God? 
So I don't know what situation that you're facing right now. I don't know what fears are going on in your life. I don't know what narrative the enemy is amplifying or even what difficulty you're facing and the story you're telling yourself. But what I am saying to you is there are three sides to every story. And my challenge to you is find God's side. Look deeper, look higher. Here's a very practical way to do that. When you step back and you say, God, what are you trying to teach me through this situation? Let's go back to the story about my son. What are you trying to teach my son in this situation? He's saying, I'm trying to teach him how to partner with me. I'm trying to teach him. Here's a a very practical example. So my son's imagination is second to none. I mean, he is incredibly imaginative. And uh, I, I was praying with him and I realized that he was struggling to hear God's voice, but God was speaking to him in his imagination as they dreamed together. He just wasn't aware of that side of God. So we began to talk about that. Now, all of a sudden, this difficult circumstance that he's in becomes an opportunity for him to connect with God in the way he was wanting to all along. Here's the crazy thing. That night he goes to bed. I said, son, get in the driver's seat of your mind. I'm telling you that picture is going to come back. It's just the way the brain works. It's it's going to remind you a couple times and see what you think about it. And so when that happens, you and Jesus, you demolish it together. You partner with God together. And he, he said to me, mom, the next morning he slept so good. He said, one time that picture popped in my mind and I pictured me and Jesus doing this thing that God had imagined with him and it went away and I was able to sleep and I really never felt afraid. And that was over a week ago and he seems to have conquered this particular situation gloriously. And if my eight-year-old can do it, you can too. All right. I think that's enough for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this tribe that we're building online. And I just want to say I'm so glad that you are um, with us today and we're going to have new content every Tuesday. I'm praying for you. Until next time, be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.